You're listening to the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast, where we want to inspire parents to make faith in Jesus the priority of their families. Thanks so much for listening in today. My name is Todd Lesher, and I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation today. We are talking with Brooke Hempel from Barna Group. And Brooke is the Senior Vice President of Research. She manages the firm's research studies from semi-annual polls that track the pulse of America's beliefs and practices to custom studies for parachurch ministries, denominations, businesses, and nonprofit organizations. Through this work, Barna helps leaders gain insights into faith groups and the general population's perspective on faith and cultural issues. Prior to joining Barna, Brooke led market research engagements for clients in pharmaceutical, financial services, and retail industries for more than 15 years. She earned her bachelor's degree in business and marketing from Cornell University. Brooke is active in church planting and racial reconciliation ministries and lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Brooke, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, could you tell us a little bit more about the Barna Group? Sure. Yeah, so George Barna started Barna Group um, about 35 years ago. So Barna's been around for a long time. Yeah. And they've, for many years, tracked the kind of spiritual metrics that define our nation, and in some cases, other countries as well. So what's neat about um, that legacy is that we have an incredible history of, of data to kind of compare where we are today and how does that fit into the context of where we've come from. And so we get to work with different ministries and uh, different organizations, nonprofits, who are either serving Christians or doing outreach and ministry to others on behalf of Christians. Um, and even sometimes we get to work with some for-profit companies who, uh, like like major studios, who are producing products that might be of interest to Christians. So yeah. movies tend to come up a lot. Okay, very cool. Well, we're really grateful for all of Barna's work, and we refer to it uh, pretty frequently. So I'm curious to know, how do you all decide on what to study and research? You alluded to a little bit of that, um, but where do you all begin and how do you start? Well, oftentimes an organization will come to us and they'll say, you know, we've been working in this space for a while and we've been noticing some things. Could you help us figure this out? And sometimes they'll use that for their own planning purposes. But a lot of times it it kind of grows into a public facing study. Mm -hmm. So many of the the studies that we publish through our books, um, these are partnerships with organizations who are kind of on the ground. Uh, So in the case of Gen Z, we worked with Impact 360. They um, mentor and educate teens. And so they've been kind of watching how teens are changing over time. And they said, we've noticed there's something different about Gen Z. And we'd love to really double click there and figure out what's going on and share that with other people. Yeah. So it ends up being a great partnership where we we kind of see the work they do and see what they're seeing and, and get passionate about um, a new area of ministry or um, an area that hasn't been studied as, as well. Or maybe people have ideas about it, but there's not a lot of concrete data to back it up. Mm. So we kind of work with them to define um, what's going to bring new insights into the church as a whole, not just yeah. the organization, right? Because this, this, all of our work is meant for the body of, of Christ and for those who are doing ministry on the front lines. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Well, maybe to tack on a, another question there, and we'll kind of unpack the practical side of this a little bit, uh, but what is the value of data in, in the realm of research and then kind of applied? So how do you cool. emphasize the importance of data research? Yeah, that's a great question. So I liken it to flying an airplane. And if I were a pilot 
and I were a believer in God, I would not say, God is going to tell me exactly where to fly this plane and how to do it. <laughs> I would go and I would study, um, first of all, what I need to be doing and how to make decisions and how to actually operate the machinery. And then second of all, when I'm in that seat, um, in the cockpit, I would have an instrument panel in front of me that would tell me what the weather's looking like, what direction I'm going, where the mountains are coming up, where other planes are coming. Yep. I need to know the context in which I'm operating to make the best decisions. And that's all guided by the spirit. But yep. the information is so important to help us to make choices that are relevant to those we're serving. Mm. And so um, I've been in market research forever and I just love the insights you get because what often will happen is you have an intuition about something yep. or you've seen something. But when you have data in front of you, you know, is that the number one thing that's going on here? Or maybe there's something else. This mm. is a secondary thing. Yep. Um, or maybe it just confirms, yes, this is a big deal. And in fact, it's even bigger than we thought. Yeah. And so it gives you some insight on then what do we do? Um, especially if you're in ministry, you know, where are their needs? Where are their challenges that people are facing um, that the church can be helpful in? And yep. so I think it really helps guide our decisions of priorities. We have many things we can do, and churches do a lot of things. When we ask, ask about the programs they're a part of and their various ministries, oh, my goodness, they're doing all sorts of things. But sometimes you have to prioritize a bit. Yeah. And data can help you do that. That's good. It, it sounds like it. Uh, we may have a hunch, but it— it sharpens our focus in, yes. in what we're doing. And the thing that I really, really appreciate about the work that you do at Barna is that you kind of combine and elevate the importance of both stats and stories. Because mm -hmm. stats tell one side, but you tell the story, too, of churches and non-for-profit non organizations and how they're doing good work in the world for the kingdom of God and for the good of the nation and the city that they're located. So that's really, really good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, you alluded to this a little bit when it came to Generation Z, and that's what we're going to talk about uh, primarily in this podcast. But can you give us a quick overview of the other generations? Sure, yes. So first of all, Generation Z does not have a final name yet. It is okay. a placeholder. Um, there are other generations that, that likely any, anyone has heard of. Um, let's start with the baby boomers. Many people have heard of baby boomers. They mm -hmm. were the generation that was born after the war, after World War II, okay. and it was a baby boom. Everyone started having babies because life was good. Yeah. And so these people grew up, or this generation grew up in a time of prosperity and growth, um, but also with a lot of struggles that happened, especially in the 60s and 70s. And what happens is that, that really kind of defined generational science. So mm -hmm. that experience they had as kids and teens and young adults defined so much about their worldview. And so that's where this idea of generational science comes from. So that's baby yeah. boomers. Um, they're born uh, between 1946 and 1964. Okay. And then after them comes Gen X, and they're born between 1965 and 1983. So these are the kids who were basically growing up in the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. um, they experience very different kind of uh, cultural phenomenon, like dual working parents and latchkey kids were a huge defining factor of this generation, for yeah. example. Um, and then came millennials, and we hear a lot about millennials. Um, they were born sometime between 1984 and 1998. Okay. Um, and if, you, if you're listening to these years, as I mentioned, you'll, you might notice that they're getting smaller. Right. So our generations keep getting more truncated because of the world is moving so fast and mm -hmm. changing so fast that we're having to say, oh, this next new group is really different. So millennials are basically our, our 20s and early 30s right now. Um, and the reason everyone talks about them is they are different. Mm -hmm. uh, they have yeah. grown up using technology and use it right. regularly now. 
um, and it really defines a lot of how they express themselves. Um, they also grew up with um, a kind of culture that celebrated their opportunities as kids, which really changes the dynamics of how you think about yourself and your worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, some of this bleeds over. We, we kind of draw a line somewhere, but it's not always a hard, fast line. It's it's yeah. a it's a blending. So some of this bleeds over into what is now Gen Z, okay. which is our true digital natives. I mean, they yeah. since the day they were born, there's been iPhones around. And it is genuinely, technology has actually genuinely shaped their brains mm. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, so we don't know yet what that means. But that's kind of how we would um, define each of those generations. And as they grow older, as they become adults, we begin to see what those seeds that were planted in their childhood will grow into in terms of their personality and their worldview. Okay. Yeah, that's really good. Thank you for that overview. And so when it comes to... Uh, Gen Z, uh, what's the old side of it and what's the young side of it age-wise? Um, right now we're saying, and, and everyone cuts it a little bit differently, but yeah. we're saying that the older Gen Zs are about 20. They're okay. in college right now. Okay. Some people put it as high as 22. So basically they're your college students. Okay. We haven't really cut the lower end yet. Yeah. So some people are saying that it's going down to 2003, for example. Um, it's not really de- defined yet. And mm-hmm. so, um, I'm sorry, not 2003, 2018. Um, That would have made a really short generation. (laughs) And so we don't know yet. And and the reason is that we don't know what's going to change, you know, in the next couple of years that might actually be life defining. And we'd say, oh, the people who came after this, they're really different. So the top end, basically, the the thing to know is the majority of who we're looking at here is kids between elementary school and Mm. college at the top end. Yep. So in some ways you have... Um, correct me if I'm wrong. You have Gen X and Millennials parenting Gen Z at yes. this moment. Okay, exactly. Very good. So I'm in that category. Um, Gen mm-hmm. X, and I've got three digital natives in my home. You know, trying okay. to, and I'm like, I'm trying to navigate that. Internet came on board. I was aware of it at 16 years old, uh, but it was still the you know dial-in modem and mm-hmm. the great sound effect. And it's not mm-hmm. like that for them. So give us a little bit more about the defining characteristics of Gen Z. We talked about digital natives, the iPhone technology is all around them. What else is uh, unique about Gen Z? One of the demographic factors about them that really defines them is their diversity. So this year's, I believe it's kindergarten, first and second grade. That's all three of those. Mm -hmm. There are more minorities as a whole than than the white majority. Or basically, the white majority is no longer a majority. And so what that means is their world is multicolored. Um, They they just see all sorts of people from all walks of life. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, A lot of it has to do with immigration. A lot of it has to do with um, certain groups uh, being more productive and having more children. Um, it also has to do, especially in the church, with adoption. Mm-hmm. And what's unique about that is that um, because people are getting married older and having kids later, mm-hmm. there is more adoption taking place because okay. of infertility issues, right? So this is just a truly biological fact. Yeah. But what it means is there's more adoption, and those adoptions often are happening across lines of ethnicity. Mm -hmm. And so you will have very blended families and that is not an unusual thing. And the church tends to have a lot of that just because of the the heart of Christians, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So they're growing up with this very, very diverse worldview in terms of like, who am I physically? Um, that's kind of a neat definition, especially if we think of a lot of the tensions that exist in our country right now, Mm -hmm. that Gen Z in a lot of ways is protected from that. We hope, um, just due to the nature of their peer set. 
How about, um, and, oh, go oh, ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just going to get into uh, some of those values that are, yes. are personal to them. Yes, exactly. So um, what's interesting, and, and when we talk about values, we talk a little bit about identity, right? Because mm-hmm. Uh, their values are mostly shaped by their parents until they set out into the world and then they begin to kind of make them their own. Right. Um, so there is a lot of a sense of relativism, um, yeah. that's cultural. And so there's moral relativism. There's even relativism in terms of what truth is. Yeah. So we don't know where they're going to land yet, but they're very more so than previous generations. They're very hesitant to say anything in absolute terms. Hmm. <laughs> um, they also, in terms of what they value, they really value achievement, okay. um, kind of either academic achievement or career achievement. Those are the things that they say defines who you are, which is interesting because previous generations are more likely to say family defines who you are or where you're from, mm-hmm. or uh, even before that, baby boomers and, and the elders above before them would have said religion defines who you are yeah. or your country. But this generation is self-defined. And we saw that shift a bit with millennials and it's really extreme in Gen Z because mm-hmm. they actually have the capacity to define themselves by using technology tools. Right, right. So they kind of create all these personas and identities virtually and then they live into that. Yeah. So it's a really interesting set of values um, when you're not clear what truth is. And where, or, where does the, the value of a, achievement originate? There's some of that and they have the, the ability to define themselves. Does it come from looking at either financial crisis in the world or they play video games and it's all about achievement or leveling up. You know, what is that, that mindset or outlook? Yeah, I think it's, a, it's all those things and more. Mm-hmm. Um, so financial crisis is, is a huge part of their desire to uh, be career focused. And so many of them, in fact, one of our, our colleagues just shared this with us the other day. He's uh, relatively new out of graduate school. And he was saying that his dad suffered with unemployment for almost a decade because mm-hmm. of the recession. And so he was very clear, I had better specialize my skills so that I can um, yes. be confident in having safety in my career. Yes. And so he's very career achieved oriented and many of them are because they've seen either themselves, they experienced it or they've seen others in their family and friends experience hardship from the recession. Yeah. Um, they saw millennials, you know, graduate from college and still not get a job and they they don't want that. Hmm. Um, the other factor I think is exactly right. It's this, I can, de- I can determine my own world. And mm-hmm. I would, I would say that start started as early as with Starbucks in the seventies. Like right. I want my latte this way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. so we can say what we like and people will respond to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it gets reinforced through things like video games or even just any technology that is constantly, um, using it, it uses psychology to reinforce behaviors and and like you said kind of this levels and achievement of keep progressing upward and i also think schools are a huge part of this yeah um, i mean schools are held to a standard of achievement so they hold their they hold their students to a standard of achievement even Definitely. above just general learning yeah so they've just been fed that narrative so long um and some of the research that we've done with colleges um we have talked to them about you know, the, the challenge parents and students have coming into college where, uh, they've, they've just been fed this narrative of, you have to do this thing in that course and get this credit and this thing. And then they get to college and they're like, we forgot about the joy of learning. We just <laughs> right. enforce on yeah, this hamster yeah. wheel of doing this and that to get to learning, to yep. get to college. And now it's like, 
oh, wait, learning is a joy, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so there's just a lot of forces shaping that. And so that constantly reinforces in their mind, oh, yeah, achievement matters. Mm, that's really good. Uh, well, let's talk about church and personal faith. Where, where does Gen Z land there? Oh, wow. Yeah. So this is an amazing shift. And we talk about pendulum swings sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm hoping for that. But right now it is the pendulum seems to be swinging to the highest point. Um, so this is a truly post-Christian generation. Mm-hmm. And I've got on, gone out on a limb and said a few times I would even call them um, a blank slate spiritually. And yeah. people got upset yep. about that. But what right. it means is they didn't grow up in church. Many yep. majority, um, you know, compared to previous generations are not regular churchgoers. Mm-hmm. And that's different than it was in previous generations. And so w- what's interesting is we used to have this kind of balance of you had regular churchgoers and you had people who weren't, and they were all sorts of things, but they were kind of even in their mm-hmm. numbers mm-hmm. with just this generation that has swung so that we now have 4% of teens today have a biblical worldview when we ask them about their beliefs wow. yeah. and what they what they value. Four percent have a biblical worldview, and that is compared to thirty-four percent who would say they are atheist, agnostic, or nothing. Hmm. That's a huge imbalance. Mm-hmm. So right. you're just like this little fish in a huge ocean. Um, and so they feel very different. You know, Christian teens today feel really different in their yeah, normal natural yeah. world wow. than their parents did. Mm-hmm. They feel much more a sense of hostility or just I'm I'm just unusual or I don't want to talk about this because no one's going to understand. Um, so so there are some who have held to the faith and very firmly. And we were encouraged by those mm-hmm. um, who have. But on the whole. Um, the generation has really, really swung. And we even saw in this generation, uh, in today's teens, that twice as many teens were likely to say that they were atheists. So about 6% of adults would say they're actually atheists. Okay. And 13% of ten of teens said they yeah. were actually atheists. So yeah. That was a doubling in one generation. Right. It was kind of a crazy shift that yeah. like, you know, it tipped. Like it's no longer a bad thing to be considered anti-God. Mm-hmm. Yep. And is some of that uh, from the individualization, looking at their parents, looking at the world around them, is is it some, or is there is it a direct encounter with the church? Uh, I imagine it's probably all the above as I'm talking, but anyways. <laughs> yeah, it's more, so in previous generations, there's a bit more of the, I went to church and I rejected it. Mm-hmm. In this generation, it's a bit more of, I've never really been exposed to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really thought that there was a God. That's weird. I've never been taught that. I've never heard that. I never even knew a Christian. So there's more in this generation who just don't have that exposure. So even if they say they're atheists, that doesn't mean God hater. That means evidence of a God. Yeah, it's really important. So there's not, there's not necessarily a sense of hostility. There's some who might feel that way, but it's more that I've been taught science and Mm -hmm. through the lens of science, I had never even thought about anything spiritual. Yep. And one of the things to, to emphasize, because when you take in research and data, it can alarm and can feel like mm-hmm. a crisis. But this sounds like an opportunity to, to lean into the culture uh, if they are a blank slate and they're they're starting fresh. You know, so yes. here's the opportunity to give them a healthy perspective of the church, Christianity, the gospel, Jesus and so on and so forth. Yes, that's, absolutely. So in terms of the numbers, awesome. there's a yep. big opportunity. And even just a term, in terms of what we hear anecdotally, yep. um, we've heard many people tell stories of you know, elementary age children or even preteens asking their parents, hey, I heard someone talking about Jesus. I don't really know who that mm. is. Can you mm. can you take me to a church to see? I mean, yep. literally. 
(laughs) that, you know, that kind of attitude is, is just unheard of in our, in a previous generation. So it's very interesting that, um, they might even be curious, um, as opposed to hostile. And the amazing thing that I've seen in my context involved in church for a number of years is those children who are a blank slate, when they get invited to church, they end up being the ones who bring their parents and their parents Mm -hmm. discover God afresh in a way that they may have left or turned away from. And now they're coming back to faith in a real authentic way. It's really amazing. So I I think that's really, really great. So we could talk a lot about what the church needs to learn about Gen Z, but let's, let's talk to parents. What do parents need to key in on? And how do they need to adapt to the needs of Gen Z? Mm. So uh, assuming these are Christian parents mm-hmm. and that they want their children to grow up in the faith, right, um, right. I do think that it's important to realize that your child is operating in a post-Christian context. Mm. Yep. Um, it's a wonderful opportunity. They have so many more chances to share Jesus with people who've never heard of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but also they shouldn't assume that the world is going to align with their values and beliefs. And so they need to equip their kids to live intentionally, but not, um, not inappropriately uh, towards those who just literally have no exposure. Right. Mm -hmm. We don't, we Mm -hmm. don't want everyone, everyone, anyone to feel bad about not knowing about Christianity. Um, so just equipping their kids in that way and and recognizing that the context that they grew up in is not the context that their kids are growing up in. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that there's a lot for parents, a lot of understanding the psychology behind the culture and the technology that kids are steeped in every day. Yeah. Um, I, I think this is where parents get caught off guard and, and my blood pressure does tend to rise a bit <laughs> when I think about my kids <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> and kind of just, just the reality of what we're kind of battling against sometimes of, um, you can't just go, oh yeah, everyone's on a screen. I'm going to get on a screen. Yeah. Oh wait, let me think about that for a second. There's actually massive implications. Um, there's, there, I won't go into it, but there's deep psychology at play mm. in many, many ways, chemically and emotionally yep. and reinforcing these behaviors that actually can lead to something really bad. Mm. Um, and so we just have to be very cognizant and have conversations with our kids. Yep. So a lot of parents are afraid or, or just unfamiliar. And so they, they don't not have that conversation with their kids, but they need to, and they might have kids show them about some new video game or some new thing that everyone's talking about on social media and explain to it and use that as an opportunity to engage in their world Mm -hmm. and talk about how do you navigate these situations and what's good for our brains and our bodies and our hearts and what's not good for our brains and our bodies and our hearts. Yeah. And that's really good. So drill down a little bit more because I think even to, to relate with you, I, I feel overwhelmed at time of going, where do I even start? I've got to know, understand technology. My four-year-old is programming the TG, TV, so he knows more than I do. But yes. there's sexuality and politics and boundaries and behavior and friend groups and all those sort of things. And it can be overwhelming for parents and they either choose apathy or give up, you know, throw their hands up in the air. So what should they focus on? You know, tangible lean in, uh, yeah. for parents. So I would say, um, time is still a huge, huge influence, right? You may not be able to figure out all the technology, but mm-hmm. let's at least put it in its right place in terms of the time that takes up in our lives. Um, we did a great book in collaboration with Andy Crouch called tech wise family. Yes, and he's got great some one. really good habits in there about how to kind of Use technology as a tool, but recognize that it's a powerful tool and we need to make sure that we don't let it take over our lives. Mm. Um, So I actually heard a really great analogy from um, a kind of pediatrician at at Harvard. He he calls himself the mediatrician. He studies media Mm. habits and health. Um, And he says, take a cup, 
and say that that cup is a day and it has 24 hours and you fill it up and you first fill it up with all the good stuff mm-hmm. or the stuff that you need. You need sleep. You need X number of hours to eat and you probably need some physical exercise and, and we enjoy that. We like to play basketball. So let's put in two hours a day for that. Mm-hmm. And you start filling it up with all the things that you have to do. And then you go, what's left? So before we get sucked into hours and hours of YouTube videos, let's say, hey, this is going to be our time. We've decided that if we spend more than an hour doing this, we're not going to get to do all those other good things that we enjoy doing together or that we need to do. And so just helping your kids think through how to manage their time is a huge starting place, right? Right. Because technology doesn't tell you that. Yep. Yep. Um, And I think the other thing for parents who are feeling overwhelmed is ask their kids. Their kids would love to be their guide to show them what's going on, but also that then gives you as a parent an opportunity to jump in with context. Um, Someone described to me that technology is the thing that tends to crowd out the Deuteronomy six moments. Mm. So that idea of like talking with your child about the word as you walk along the road and as you're getting ready for bed and when you get up, those are the like in between waiting moments. Mm. So you have to kind of recapture those, but you can actually do that through technology. If you're sitting there together and experiencing something together, that is exactly when you talk about God's word as you're walking along the road. Right. Um, so you, you walk through and explore it together and you, and you help them discern and navigate and you learn as you're going, um, this is how this technology works. That's really interesting. Or why do you love Ninjago Lego so much? (laughs) You know, what, what's going on here? What's so interesting about these characters that you find, you know, appealing. Yeah. So it's a great conversation piece, but we have to be in it with our kids. Yep. And that's, it's, it's easy really to be, it's easy to be lazy and be like, just take the screen and go have fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's either, it's easy, easier to tell them what to do instead of asking them or participating in the yes. conversation. Now, I get caught in that all the time. I'm like I'm lecturing my child. He's not taking notes of this. He's going to yes. just walk away. <laughs> instead of engaging, that is really, really good. Can you give those two, you talked about Andy Crouch's book and then the, what was the the other one? Oh, the Harvard the, Media Nutrition. Yeah. Media Nutrition. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a it's a great resource. There's actually a media lab, and it's okay. and it's run by the the School of um, Pedi- Pediatrics at, okay. at Harvard University. Okay. Perfect. Another great website. The other resource, the third one, I would recommend to parents is called Axis AI. A-X-I-S, sorry. Okay. Um, they have all these great little guides and videos. They're these short little guides of here's a topic. What do you do with this? Right. So mm-hmm. here's one. Fortnite videos. What do yep. I do with Fortnite videos? And they, they'll okay. do a quick little guide on that to help you navigate those conversations with your kids. Yeah. They're a fantastic resource. So I would definitely recommend them as well. That is really good. Well, what challenges do you see that Gen Z will face that parents in the church need to help them navigate? Mm. Um, I do think social issues will continue to be an important um, place where Kids are going to need help from their parents, but they probably don't realize it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to face new social pressures because of social media and the way that they interact with people. Okay. Um, there is, and I, and I say this again, not to be alarmist, but um, there is an extraordinary spike in anxiety and depression and anxiety, mm-hmm. especially, and things that come out of that, like eating disorders and self-harm amongst today's preteens, mm-hmm. especially even more so than teens um, because of these various uh, factors of culture and technology. And I do think parents need to be watching for that. Um, Many of them will say, oh, you know, that's that's in that culture out there. No, no, that's in the church. And we've had a lot of youth pastors come to us as a result of this study and say, 
oh my goodness, I was seeing like one out of five of my teams struggling with cutting and I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's actually a thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, parents just need to be hyper aware of that and help their kids explore those emotions because kids today are really good with emojis, mm. but they don't necessarily know how to live into emotions. Yes. And that's yes. where parents can absolutely be their best fan their biggest support, their listening ear, and they need to not let the child push them away in that. They have the responsibility to really just be there and help navigate those social relationships and emotions with their child. That's good. Yeah. Avoidance is not an option for parents. It can't (laughs) be, you know, but it can cause stress and parents as well uh, when when facing this, but it's so important to, to interact and engage with those. So I know with all of this, you said you don't want to be the alarmist. It's more being realistic about this new generation that we've got to study so that we can impact them. But what hope do you have to give parents to dispel some of the fears associated with the research about Gen Z? Oh, to me, it just was screaming coming out of there here that our great hope is in Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I see in the data is there is confusion about identity in so many ways. And we see that in our culture around us. We don't have to get, you know, look at the study to realize like people are having identity crises, crises of all sorts. Um, Oh my goodness. As a child of God and made in his image. Wow. Do we ever have hope and peace in that? And that is a hope that we can offer our kids and they can offer their friends. And it is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. I actually look at this and go, you know, before now, I don't know that people needed God. Hmm. Now they're going to need him desperately. Oh my goodness. <laughs> right? Yep. And we've got this amazing hope and this, uh, this antidote to our cultural challenges. Yep. Um, so I really think it's a great time um, for the church and a great reason to be hopeful for parents mm. um, that not only... Um, is there more kind of confirmation than ever of the importance of faith in their life? But also that, um, you know, my hope is that the world will just, just be hungry for yep. God yep. as a result of kind of where our culture is right now. Yeah. Um, so, so that's really encouraging to me. And the other thing I will say is that, um, I'm encouraged by watching people who are in the IT industry and parents and educators noticing finally what's going on with technology mm-hmm. and beginning to to put some ground rules on you know in place or saying like these are these are things you need to watch out for. Yeah. Um so I'm encouraged by that and I actually think what it's caused is a bit of a wake up call for some um to say actually what does it what does it mean to to learn and engage and how should we be spending our time? Like you almost kind of do a more cognizant um, self-assessment than you would have before technology. Mm-hmm. And I've seen employers and IT companies, especially um, all of a sudden saying, you know what, we can hire anyone to do the technical things like programming. We really need thinkers. Yeah, We need people who have really studied and learned and have a desire to understand. And as a parent, I get excited about that because I love for my kids to learn and, and learning about scripture and learning about God is part of, you know, one part of many things that we get to learn in his world. Yeah. Um, and so there's just this recognition that actually we need to think a bit bigger than just learning skills. Yep. We need to think about being good learners. And, um, that is great encouragement as a parent that, yeah. You know, just kind of put off that anxiety of they've got to do this and that and that to get into a good college. No, no, no. If they are a good learner and they develop their minds and they are are ready to give an answer when when called on with tough questions like what's your worldview? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, That's actually appealing to more than just 
us as parents, that's appealing to employers yeah, yeah, and yeah. educators as well. That's really great. We talk about kind of the roles of parents and in that kind of elementary, middle school, it's, it's guide, coach, mentor through these mm-hmm. sort of things. And technology really can't do that for the child. They're right. going to lead them in one way, but nobody can do that better than a yes. parent. So, yes. well, uh, thank you for affirming and reminding us that our hope is in Christ. The, the Jesus is the hope of Generation Z. That's it. Exactly. The, re- the resurrection gives us a, a great hope for their future and the, the power for parents. So thank you for uh, reminding of that. How can parents find out more about Barna and Generation Z? Um, just go to Barna.com and search for Gen Z. And there's all sorts of articles that'll come up to give you some tidbits. And then there's a book that we published with all the study results mm-hmm. um, that, that parents can purchase. That also, you can purchase the TechWise book on our website. I do believe yes. both of those are also on Amazon. So you okay. can just find those resources anywhere. Yep. I have read both. They're amazing. So thank you, thank you for providing those resources uh, for us to use. Uh, any final advice or encouragement for parents? Um, I would say, you know, this is a, um, a scary time, but a great time to be yeah. a parent. It actually really matters what you're doing. Um, and as someone who wears many hats, right, I have a full-time job mm-hmm. and I have two kids in Gen Z. Um, man, they are my favorite project. Mm-hmm. I love just watching them grow and seeing how God is planting these things in them that um, will turn into something amazing. And I'm, I'm just encouraged at the power of parenting yeah. um, and, and just that God has given us that privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say lean into it uh, and your kids are not baked. They are wet cement in their yeah. teams, but they are not baked yet. Yes, so keep going. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. Well, good. Brooke, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Let me say a prayer. Thank you. Heavenly father. Uh, thank you for Barna and the good work that they have done for so many years. Thank you for Brooke taking the time to join us on this podcast. And we pray a blessing over parents who are parenting and raising Generation Z kids. I pray that their hope would be in you and that you would give them the strength and the stamina, the wisdom and discernment they need to parent and influence their kids, to give them a robust faith and a generous worldview that sees the world as one that God created, that God loves, and that God is a part of. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Parent on parents, you got this. Thanks for joining us for the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast, where we want to inspire parents to make faith in Jesus the priority in their families. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you showed your support by sharing, subscribing, and rating this podcast on iTunes. To watch our services live or find the campus nearest you, visit foresthill.org.